All right, welcome back into another episode of the first draft show. Field Yates and Mel Kuyper. Mel, congratulations. We did not get fired after just one episode. We survived the yep. day one, right? But now it's a fun time because now Field Yates comes through with his premiere, his first ever edition of his top 25 big board. So I loved it. I, I, there's some obviously some differences of opinion, which is phenomenal. Obviously, this will impact your mock draft. As a mock draft is completely different when, it, when your first mock draft comes out. I believe you said when. Uh, right after the Super Bowl. So I've got some time to fine-tune yes, that you one. Some time, but we'll, get, we'll dive into blocks of five. Yep. today of your top 25 and see where there's some differences. I, and I want you, this is your, this is your day field, uh, your time to shine because this is your ratings, your opinions. And I think everybody wants to know why you may have a little discrepancy or a guy a little higher or lower than I do. So let's go to it whenever you're ready. Yeah. And if anybody here is watching on YouTube, which hopefully many of you are, I've got my helmet back here. I've got a helmet ready in case Mel's criticism is just too harsh of my top 25. So I told Mel yesterday over email, I'm coming prepared because I know that we're not going to see every player eye to eye. Uh, I, didn't right know this. I got lacrosse helmets because you're a great defenseman back That's in the right. day. Lacrosse, That's right. yeah. big yeah. in the Maryland area with Johns Hopkins and, and Loyola and all the schools, Towson. So, yeah, UMBC. So we got everything going lacrosse-wise, football-wise. So you're all padded up. So you're not going to have any issues with any injuries after this podcast. You know, we got to make sure you're healthy for next week. So let's roll, pal. A bruised ego is in play. Besides that, Mel, <laughs> we feel like we are well-equipped to handle whatever criticism that you may have. A reminder yeah. that you can find every show from First Draft out there, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube, Monday shows, Mondays and Thursdays. Monday shows are going to be live on television. How about that? ESPN2, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Can't wait for that. Let's get into my top 25, though, Mel, and... We're going to do them, as you said, five players at a time. Certainly spend some time talking through each of these players at the very top of the board. Players one through five are as follows. Caleb Williams, quarterback from USC. Marvin Harrison Jr., wide receiver from Ohio State, who as of the time of this podcast has not officially declared for the draft. We all know which way that one is headed. Number three, and here's where things get spicy. Jaden Daniels, quarterback, LSU. I forecasted this when we did a podcast about two and a half weeks ago talking about my potential big board. Number four, quarterback Drake May from North Carolina. And finally, number five, the second LSU Tiger already, wide receiver Malik Neighbors. He had an unbelievable season, which coincided, of course, with Jaden Daniels winning the Heisman. What stands out to you the most right there, Mel? One through five. Well, I think the big move of Jade, which is a, a quantum leap from where he was back in August to where he was after last year to being in this top. I have him right where you do, basically three, four, no difference there. We're splitting hairs. Uh, the decision, no field for you to go Jade Daniels over Drake May. I'll tell you why I still have May ahead of Daniels. You tell me why you made that move of Daniels over May. All right, so Jaden Daniels versus Drake May is a little bit of a stylistic preference, right? As far as stature is concerned, these two are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Drake May is 6'3", 230, 240 pounds, very good athlete. He actually led UNC in rushing during the 2022 season. Meanwhile, Jaden Daniels is maybe 6'3", as well, Mel, but he's like 205 pounds. We're talking about like a 25, 30-pound difference, much more slender but much more athletic as well as Jaden Daniels had over a thousand rushing yards this past season, also had nearly 4,000 passing yards. He accounted for 40 touchdowns through the air, which is four interceptions. He was unbelievable dicing teams up at the college level. Meanwhile, at the pro level where he's going to be virtually unstoppable is this, is that there is always a plan to deter a running quarterback. It rarely works once the ball is snapped and that quarterback is running in the open field. Perhaps you can call it the Lamar Jackson influence that I am feeling right now. But as we are watching Lamar Jackson en route to his second NFL MVP in his first six seasons. And of course, the Ravens, the best team in the NFL this year, in large part because of the brilliance of Lamar Jackson. I am looking at the dynamicism of Lamar. And while he's a better overall athlete than Jaden Daniels, as far as quarterback prospects since Lamar was taken back in 2018 with a 32nd pick in the first round, I think he's the most athletic quarterback that we have seen. Justin Fields, the other one in that conversation. But Jaden Daniels, with his ability to completely change the math for a team with his legs, is so, so valuable. You think about the teams at the top, Mel, and as you know, of course, many of the teams picking at the top of the draft board that weren't acquired via trade, like Chicago at pick number one, have two commonalities. 
They have a bad quarterback. They've got a bad offensive line. In a lot of cases, they've got both. I think that Jaden Daniels, the minute he is picked, not only makes the team's quarterback room a whole lot better, but the offensive line a whole lot better. You simply can't rush the same way when you have a quarterback that if he breaks the pocket and he's in the open field, it might be a touchdown as you can when it's a quarterback who is potentially a statue or just an average athlete. Drake Bay is not an average athlete, but Jaden Daniels is a superior athlete to Drake May. That was how I broke the tie between two of the very best players in the entire draft. Yeah, and I think how far do you want to move up, Jaden? I think your comps are always something we factor in a little bit. You mentioned Lamar Jackson, 32nd pick, passed over by, yeah, I think Arizona for Josh Rosen. Think about that. Yeah. Josh Rosen went way, way ahead of Lamar Jackson, right? So you think about where we are now. Now Jaden Downs, because of Lamar Jackson, is now a top five pick guaranteed, right? And you think about where we were going back when Dave Meggett was successful coming out of Towson State University, now Towson University, ends up being a fifth-round pick. Great career. They wanted to get a Dave Meggett. They took Dexter Carter in the first round. Then you think about what Russell Wilson meant to Kyler Murray and Bryce Young, showing mm-hmm. that a 5'10 and three-quarters quarterback can have a successful Super Bowl-winning career, right? So all this opens up opportunities for guys coming in future years, and certainly – Jaden can thank Lamar, no question about that. In terms of the comp for Drake May being Justin Herbert, you say, okay, best case scenario, we have Lamar or Herbert. Lamar's better than Herbert right now, right? Mm-hmm. So if he's a two-time MVP, he has a chance maybe to get to a Super Bowl this year. You would think the Ravens are, the, and the 49ers, two teams with the buys opening week of the playoffs. So if you go by just the comps, you would, fit, you would go best case scenario, Jaden over Drake, right? But for Drake, defend him. And I haven't made any fine. I don't think – one thing we have to clear up here, neither you, and I can't speak for you, Dre, uh, Phil, but I would say you and me both agree. These aren't final ratings. Yeah, so I don't think it's even worth bringing about like where Jaden Daniels was relative to where Drake May was coming into the season because Jaden was like what a fifth-round pick in some people's eyes coming into this past year. What I do think is relevant is that coming into this past season, Mel, we were wondering whether J- uh Drake, Drake May or Caleb Williams would go number one overall, right? Like that was the conversation that we were having. That's how spectacular Drake May was during the 2022 year, which I will remind people is a redshirt freshman, ACC Offensive Player of the Year, ACC Rookie of the Year. He set the North Carolina and the ACC single season passing touchdown record. I mean, the guy had an unbelievable, borderline unparalleled year for any quarterback in the ACC. He did it as a redshirt freshman. He's still 20 years old. Like, there is still so much potential for Drake May. I found this early on in my NFL draft analyst career at ESPN, Mel, is that, like, when you say something nice about one player, it's immediately perceived as a slight and a different player. The reality is that if I were to do these player grades on a one to 100 scale, we might be talking about like a 96 versus a 95. This is not like Drake May has uh, fallen by the wayside and I no longer like him as an NFL prospect. Of course I do. One thing I'm mindful of, and I know you are as well. I do wonder how much the NFL is incapable of bypassing or overlooking a pedestrian final season, which Drake May's numbers don't look pedestrian when you look at them isolated, but when you look at them relative to where he was in 2022, it was a drop-off, right? You mentioned all those important factors. What happened last year with Will Levis, who, of course, you were pounding the table for, and I think one season in, people understand why. The kid looks like he's going to be a real-deal player for the Titans long-term. He goes in the second round because he had a bad, bad, I'm using air quotes here, relatively bad 2022 season, right? Because New offensive coordinator, lost his top receivers, offensive line attrition, all the factors that kind of apply to Drake May. So I don't think Drake makes an I do not think Drake May would fall all the way down to the second round. But I do think there is a recency bias that impacts all of us in scouting, which is part of the reason why Drake, the bloom is not off the rose mill, but the shine is slightly. We're talking about like, you know, two to three percent less shiny right now compared to where it was coming into the season. like the player a lot. I just think that when you're trying to find ways to break the tie between two different players, I think that fewer things need to be going right around Jaden Daniels for him to succeed than it would be for Drake May. Still love the player, but if I'm breaking the tie, that is one of the factors that I am considering or Jaden Daniels, because while everybody wants to point to the fact that his two receivers are going to probably be first-round picks, one of them might be a top-five pick, LSU needed Jaden Daniels to score every single point he could this year to remain competitive because they had 
an all-time bad LSU defense. They fired their entire staff for that reason. That offensive line is young. I didn't think it played that well this year, Mel. I thought that Jaden Daniels kind of put that team on his back, part of the reason why he was the Heisman Trophy winner this season. He did. There's no question, Field. And I think when you look at it, what could have happened, we thought back in August, was is Drake going to challenge Caleb? And Caleb opened the door, you would have thought, in the Notre Dame game, right? Really, yep. The Arizona game started kind of a little bit of a downward spiral. And it was, and, and again, put this in perspective, Caleb was so unbelievable in 2022 and at the start of 2023 that anything less than spectacular, well, oh, has he slipped a little bit? In the Notre yeah. Dame game, everybody has a bad game. I mean, go back, Peyton Manning never beat Florida. Yeah. And Roethlisberger was terrible against Iowa. His team, everything just didn't go right, and he didn't look good. But if you look at that, I didn't even, I don't, I'm not into the stats. I just watched the guy as you did. But he was at 68 6 this year. He was at 66 6 when he won the Heisman Trophy. Everybody said he's the lock number one pick, and he's Patrick yeah. Mahomes. So he come, and the touchdown 30 touchdowns. He had 42, five interceptions. That's all he threw. He had 11 rushing touchdowns this year, 10 last year. So again, you take the three interceptions from Notre Dame out this year. He's got two other interceptions. That's it, Field. Yeah. So this kid played really good football. He didn't have Jordan Addison either, by the way. Yep. So for Caleb, even despite the Notre Dame, he maintains that spot because Drake, the Virginia game. Yeah, I, I was watching that field thinking, okay. What's going on? You know, why is he missing these throws? This is Virginia and NC State. These are powerhouses. Yeah. So these are games that they were big, they were 24 point favorite over Virginia when he lost. Right. So uh, and he contributed to that. Okay. Mm-hmm. By missing guys that are wide open. 100%. Yeah. And not pressure and easy throws that you, not, but throws that he's got to make. Okay. And uh, he didn't. So again, I think that's why the door was open, not for one, the challenge one. The door was open for him to be challenged with your boy and my, the guy everybody we like, you know, Jane Daniels, the guy that we thought, and everybody said, he's your boy, he's your boy, he's going to be the guy. Drake May turned out to be a guy that now is trying to hold off Jaden Daniels. And then you factor in where are we right now with the fourth quarterback, and we'll get that in a minute, but there's one game to find Michael Penix Jr. What happens there? But to stay on topic with the top five, I think you're dead on. I I have not yet finalized Jaden or Drake. That's going to be something I'm thinking about all the way into April because I was – I had Jaden up at four when people had it back in. Uh, I put him there, I think it was in late September, early October. I had him up at, in the top 10. And I'm getting, oh my gosh, what do you do? And then, well, so I tried to be ahead of the curve on him. But then all of a sudden, I see, and I, now I got Drake May still ahead of him by one spot. But in terms of, of that, that's going to be fun to see how that plays out. And ironically, is it going to matter, Field? Because at the end of the day, Chicago, Washington, New England are one, two, three. If Chicago keeps the pick or trades it, it's going to be Caleb. And it's going to be yep. one of those two and two. One of those, uh, the other one's going to go three. Just like with CJ, we said it, CJ, Bryce, Levis, Richardson, everybody, you know, we got to do. Yeah, they're all good. They all have a chance to be. I, I was higher on one than some, but Stroud, Young, they're all right in there. So it's a very similar situation this year. Uh, by April, who knows what we'll be saying about these two. But right now I'm with you. It could be Jaden Daniels ahead of Drake May. It could go that way by the time we get the draft day. I told people uh, once the NFL regular season was over and we had the first, what, 18 picks of the draft solidified, at least prior to any trades, but at least the initial draft order was set. Well, the NFL draft is beautiful because the mystery is so great. I mean, there's mystery sometimes going all the way until the day before the draft, right? The Baker Mayfield draft when no one thought to be the first overall pick until I think Shefty reported like 24 hours before the draft. There was debating about him or Josh Allen or Sam Darnold, whoever it might be in that 2018 draft. Uh, Josh Rosen, not Lamar Jackson, for reasons we still don't quite understand. But still, the point is that the beauty of the NFL draft is sometimes the mystery. It feels like this year there might be less mystery, Mel, because I think it's going quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. And then we get to the Arizona Cardinals at number four, and it sort of fits them perfectly. Like they don't like if assuming those three quarterbacks go in some order, and we can debate that until April 28th and when the draft begins, the Cardinals don't really have to worry about justifying sticking with Kyler Murray versus taking a quarterback at the fourth overall spot. I don't believe there is a fourth quarterback who would merit that kind of consideration. They can hand the card over. Marvin Harrison Jr., you join Paris Johnson Jr., your former Ohio State teammate, taking with a sixth overall pick last year, and all of a sudden a wide receiver room that looks pretty thin in terms of players under contract for 2024 right now, all of a sudden has a lot of promise. So uh, that's the top five. Let's get to the top uh, six through 10 here, Mel. And I felt like there was kind of a cluster here, six through 10, not a massive gap between picks, uh, player six and player 10. 
Number six is Olu Fashanu, the left tackle from Penn State. Number seven, Joe Alt, also the left left tackle from Notre Dame. He, of course, the son uh, of, of a longtime NFL standout offensive lineman that you watch closely. Uh, did you study his dad? You must study. I his had dad, a right? big write up on his dad. Yeah, I'm yeah. getting old. I probably have to I'll have, I'll have another generation coming before I'm finished. Probably, I know it. But yeah, John Alt, Iowa. John Alt, yeah, from what yeah. Joe's doing. There's no question. Uh, you know, he's right in there. Uh, and then the, the, the two guys to get to your eight, nine, and ten field. I want to yeah. you, know, you know Romo Dunes, a Brock Bowers, Dallas Turner. Yeah. What? what and this is the tough spot of this whole thing. What pushed you to neighbors right now over Odunze? I think he's more explosive, Mel. Malik Neighbors might be the most explosive. I think he's the most explosive player in the entire draft. His acceleration. Now, what he was doing at LSU was not as consistently down the field as his teammate Brian Thomas Jr. was, who I think is the best deep threat wide receiver in the entire draft. I thought that Malik Neighbors' consistent acceleration showed up both on shots down the field because there were certainly plenty of those as well. We talk about players right now in the NFL that can turn a 10-yard play into a 65-yard play. There are a few that come to mind, right? Tyreek Hill probably sets the bar in that regard. You've got other guys. It's Stephon Diggs, less so in the second half of this season. But for a long time, Stephon Diggs, of course, Maryland man, uh, has been one of the most explosive players in the entire NFL. That, to me, is Malik Neighbors. I mean, this kid can turn a simple hitch into a touchdown from 45, 50 yards away. And he catches everything, too, right? He's an unbelievable route runner. And playing with Jaden Daniels certainly helps. I'm not denying that in the same way that playing with Malik Neighbors helped Jaden Daniels a lot. Their chemistry, though, like the ability for Malik Neighbors to consistently find spots in soft zones was unbelievable. It helped turn some of these short completions into big play opportunities. Uh, it's a great problem to have, to have to choose between Roma Dunze and Malik Neighbors, but the explosiveness is so far off the charts that it accounts for the size, size difference. Because if you line these two receivers up next to each other, Roma Dunze is gonna maybe look better on the hoof, an old scouting term for just how does the guy look physically. Uh, but Malik Neighbors, I mean, the explosiveness, not only the best in this year's class, Mel, but I have to go back maybe a couple of drafts to recall a player quite as explosive at the wide receiver spot as Malik Neighbors. Yeah, he's a great player. And I'll tell you what, I, I remember reading it was about Jaden was coming through and everybody was raving about Jaden. They said about, you know, Jaden playing through any injuries and being out there and out and being tough, right? And he said, hey, down here in Louisiana, you come to the state of Louisiana, but this is the way we play. This yep. is, we don't worry about any ankle injury. We don't worry about this. We go out there. This kid is tough. He's all football. He's a warrior. Uh, Malik Neighbors, you got to love the kid. I'm right there with you. I just have a slight edge of Rome. Like Rome is so silky smooth and so deceptive with his move. He's going to be a freakish talent. When he tests out, it's going to be off the charts. He had weight. You saw him even at a bubble screen. People, I think the defensive backs don't really gauge his speed because he looks so smooth and he, he, he was faster than he appears. So for me, Rome, and, and I love the way each week they knew, yeah, you have Polk. And you have McMillan, but McMillan wasn't even there. Yeah, remember he was hurt after the start of the season and out out for a lot of games. But you had this kid out there every week. The punt return, he did it. He was, and he even showed he showed up huge in the national title game. I mean, if, if Michael Penix gets Oops. the ball to Romo Dunze, just gets it in the area, he's going to probably put a couple more touchdowns on the board. And this game's completely different. Remember, it's a seven point game field. It's a mm. seven-point game. Everyone said, yep. oh, Michigan outplayed him and dominated. No. Now, this was a game that, was, uh, that Michael Penix could have ever – he was like the pitcher in that game who just didn't have his stuff. You, know, you got yeah. the, the, the manager get the bases loaded, second inning, a couple runs. Third inning, let's see if he can get it. Let's see if he can get it. Get, go into the fifth inning, it's 10 to nothing. <laughs> you know? yeah. Got, yeah, yeah, the, so, this was one of those games we kept waiting for Michael Penix to find his stuff, yep. and he never did. He never did. And for Rome, though, Rome was out there, beat defensive backs. Like, well, John, he was even held on that one play when they had the touchdown to McBuck. I think for me, it's the consistency for Rome. But again, we're splitting hairs here with Romo Dunes and Malik Neighbors. We both have a way up there. So again, this is one of those cases feel where you like one over the other. This is just a subjective thing. Let's see how they test. Because guess what? In a, in a push situation for me, Field, if I'm debating between two players at this spot, I want to see who tests better. Hmm. Totally. I'm, I'm, that, that, that never separates anything for me except when it's a push and I can't decide today, tomorrow, when I'm up there in bed, who am I going to go with? What do I, I see neighbors making a play. I see Rome. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? Go to the numbers. That's my separation when they're equal field. Yeah, and I think that people need to remember the NFL tends to defer to bigger faster, stronger. So if guys are, and there's some great receivers, I'll give you a receiver that I love now. Mm -hmm. Lad McConkie, 
Now, Ladd could run 4-3-8 in the draft, at the combine. And if he does, the conversation's going to switch about him. But perception right now on January 11th is that when you compare him to guys, and I'm not just talking about the Roma Dunze's, Malik Neighbors, Marvin Harrison's, Keon Coleman's of the world, but go down a little bit fur- like a little bit further to players we'll talk about later. Xavier Worthy, Adonai Mitchell, you know, Xavier Leggett, Brian Thomas Jr. Physically, at least those guys, Leggett and Thomas and A.D. Mitchell, are just so much more imposing than Ladd McConkey, right? If you see this guy, you know, these guys are six foot two, six foot three, six foot four. I mean, they look like bodybuilders. Uh, the NFL is going to defer to that type of player. There's a lot of evidence to suggest exactly that. You mentioned how close it was between Adunze and Malik Neighbors. I think there's a really healthy debate, and I actually had these players flipped, flopped, flipped, flopped several times in my offensive tackle rankings. Olu Fashanu, left tackle from Penn State. Joel, left tackle from Notre Dame. I think people are probably fairly familiar with Fashanu because he's been a name that even if you're not an offensive line expert, we've talked a lot about. I mean, the kid is superb. Relative late start to playing football, began playing football in his junior year of high school. He was teammates with Caleb Williams, actually. Imagine how good that team was in the D.C. area uh, back in their in their high school days uh, at Gonzaga High School. Um, and he's so athletic. I mean, the guy is just an unbelievable athlete for a left tackle. This is not about him. It's about Joe Alt. And Joe, who two years ago, Mel, was still playing tight end at times for Notre Dame. The word that always comes to mind for me when watching Joe Alt, composed. He's so composed. Now he's six foot eight, 322 pounds. Maybe the right word is hey, he's massive. That could be the better word to describe him, but he never gets phased. Doesn't matter if it's an edge rusher who's got incredible bend, who's just trying to beat him around the corner, or if it's a power rusher who's trying to just rush right through him, or a guy that's got a little bit of both. He just is always so composed. And I thought long and hard about having him as my number one left tackle. Do you see it as a close race or do you think there is a pretty clear divide? I think it's really close. And as a Polish Catholic here in the Maryland area, I'm a Notre Dame fan. Yeah. I don't, I don't apologize for it. I'm going to watch Notre Dame 20 times every week because I watch one Saturday. I take games and I watch now go back to them. And I'm always a little tougher. I've always found, you know, except for Jimmy Clausen, <laughs> mistake. And it wasn't because I'm a Notre Dame I, fan. I don't know what you're I, talking I, about, Mel. You don't have to bring that one I didn't up. I missed one, Jimmy, because I'm a Notre Dame guy. Remember, I didn't like Rick Meyer and he turned out not to be great. I had Bledsoe ahead of Meyer. But the, the, Notre, the Notre Dame fan that I am. I separate that when I get into the evaluation, but I'm watching, and I tend to even be a little harder and a little tougher on some of these guys because, you know, I say, okay, I, I don't want to go too crazy. I'm a Notre, you know, love Notre Dame. Yeah. So I'll, love, love the father, love the family. Love the, so I don't want to ever go too crazy because I was saying, am I skewing it? This is too subjective for me, but I'm with you. Joe Alt's consistency. We talked about Romo. I like guys who are going to show up every week and maintain a level of consistency no matter who they're going up against, Yeah. okay? And give you that same technique, and it's going to keep improving. Everything about him, keep that frame between the defensive end and the quarterback. Go about your business in an aggressive way. Game. He's a gamer. He loves it. So for me, yes, fashion room, to me, is Ronnie Stanley. He's a Ronnie yeah. Stanley-type athlete. And I think when you had Ronnie, and remember, Laramie Tunsil was in that draft, if I'm not mistaken, it was Ronnie Stanley, Laramie Tunsil. Yep. And it was a big debate there. You know, Laramie dropped a little bit on draft day, even though I'm not going to go back over that. But they're both were great tackles coming out. Bottom line is I'm with you. I think the battle at wide at quarterback, wide receiver, offensive tackle, and I always bring it upfield every year because I'm a big horse racing fan. It's yep. a firm and Allie Dar. You know, I remember my cousin was a big uh, Allie Dar fan. I was a big affirm guy, and I yeah. was proud, right? Because it was by that much. You remember by yep. that much three straight races. Okay, think about the the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness here at Pimlico, and the Belmont. By that much, but that's what we have here. By that much, either Rome or Malik. By that much, Drake or Jaden, and by that much, Joe Wall or Olu Olu Fashionu. So it's going to be fun to see how that battle. We got another one too coming up because your tenth guy, Dallas Turner, has to hold up Leatu Latu, yep. who has a medical that has to be checked out at the combine. But as a pure pass rusher, Latu is as good as it gets for me. I love the kid, but the medical is going to be important. And you have slipped in there. We haven't even discussed yet. Is a guy who I think is. We talk about safe picks. Mm. You know. For today's game, what's your getting? And that is Brock Bowers. Sure. He had the tightrope surgery, 
Uh, you know, but the guy, he makes the tough catch. He, you saw him another very just after the catch, he's taking, he's sweating defenders, he's off to the races. I think it was a Florida game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, just a kid who you know what you're getting. So I, I think Brock Bowers is a, is a plug and play, probably a Pro Bowl caliber guy. So that that group, that top ten, you have really solid, and there's gonna there's no battle for number one. Brock Bowers is clearly the number one. He, he, he is. I am wrestling with something with Brock Bowers though. Mm-hmm. The guy's the ninth player on my board. That alone tells you how much you love him, which as a tight end, it's hard for a tight end to get all the way up to ninth. It takes a special player at that position to be inside the top 10. I have not done my mock draft yet, but as you start to project it, Mel, and right. of course, the minute the regular season was over, I'm already sitting there going, all right, Bears, Caleb, you know, Commanders, Drake or right. Jaden, Patriots, Drayden or Jake, Jaden or Drake, and the Cardinals, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. All right, it's hard to, you start to, you, you do the exercise without actually doing the exercise. I think there is going to be a little bit of a debate amongst teams with those premium picks about utilizing a pick on a tight end vis-a-vis a pass rusher, a left tackle, a wide receiver. Just look at the pay scale right now in the NFL. Travis Kelsey will go in as one of the most productive, heck, in some people's eyes, the greatest tight end of all time. Easily a top three tight end of all time. He makes like $14.5 million per year. Meanwhile, you, that's like a that's like an above average wide receiver now, right? I mean, like you go back to some of these recent Alan Lazard, four years, forty four million bucks. That's that's eleven million dollars per season. He's a healthy scratch for the Jets. Now, obviously, it was a mistake deal, right? But like wide receivers, pass rushers, cornerbacks, left tackles make so much money that in the NFL, it may be that where uh, where we actually end up seeing Brock Bowers being drafted could be a handful of spots lower than where he ends up on overall big boards, just because of the positional value, which is always part of the equation in the NFL draft. Um, So I'm going to have a hard time sort of slotting him perfectly. Yeah, you're right. And and the tight end position, you go to Kyle Pitts, who was kind of the receiving entity. He wasn't a tight end. He was a receiving entity. Call him Matt, okay? Brock Bowers, you can move around. But if you think about all the guys you mentioned, Mark Andrews, big tight end out of Oklahoma. He didn't go in the first couple rounds. Third round, right? Yeah. George Kittle out of Iowa. We kind of put what, the fifth round. Fifth round, yeah. A three guy. You mentioned Travis Kelsey. He didn't go in the first two rounds. Yep. Only had University of Cincinnati. So the tight ends, Isaiah Likely stepped in for Mark Andrews at a fourth round pick. He was one of uh, Eric DaCosta hit the jackpot. Like, it was like five, six fourth round picks that year. We got yep. all those guys from Stout the punter to all those guys in the fourth round, uh, being guys being Isaiah Likely. So tight ends, you find a little, I'll tell you what, a lot of H, I like. H back this year, outstanding. Yeah, these guys are his tight end combo guys. I love that group. We'll get to them at, during the course of the next few months. Maybe they will touch on one. But for Brock Bowers, how about Tennessee? Tennessee's got a new coach coming, in, right? Mm. New coordinator. Got, yeah, got Will Levis, who we like. Yep. You think about adding a Brock Bowers to that offense. You think about the Jets adding a Brock Bowers to Aaron Rodgers. So I think he goes somewhere in the top 10, but it's going to be neighbors. Odun- if you need a receiver tight end, you go Odunze neighbors, maybe over Bowers. And then Bowers drops just down just a bit. So he still goes top 10, but I think when, there was, when the quarterbacks and those receivers come off the board and the two offensive tackles, then Brock Bowers, I think, gets heavily in the discussion. Let me give you my 11 through 15. You mentioned okay. one of them already, Lea Tulatu, the pass rusher from UCLA, the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. Keon Coleman, wide receiver from Florida State. He might also play power forward for the basketball team. He's certainly built like one. Uh, Nate Wiggins, Clemson. I can't wait to debate him. Jared Verse, another Florida State guy. And then J.C. Latham, we can also debate him from Alabama. So a little bit of Alabama representation already. Uh, I mentioned Dallas Turner at pick 10 as well. That Dallas Turner versus Leia Tulatu debate is also going to be a good one here, Mel. For those that don't follow this stuff quite as closely, although most people listening to this podcast probably do love the draft, just a reminder. Leia Tulatu was medically retired. Uh, he started his college career at Washington. Uh, Jimmy Lake, who was the head coach prior to Kalen DeBoer, at one point said, hey, he's, he's just medically not capable of continuing his career. Walks away. A couple of seasons later, he ends up back at UCLA, medically cleared, and has an unbelievable finish to his career in two seasons under Chip Kelly. Leia Tulatu is going to be a different medical red flag for some teams and others. You and I can't judge that. We are simply judging it based off of what we see on the tape. And if we get news that he is a massive medical risk, he ain't going 11th overall. He might go closer to the bottom of the first round. That being said, for now, 
got to grade him based off of what we have seen. He and Dallas Turner at the tough one, Mel. Because if I think, I think if I were to line up at a game tomorrow, if I were to find a way to draft one of those two pass rushers to play the division over the wild card right on Saturday, I think I'm taking Latu, one of the most NFL ready players in the entire draft, the best pass rusher in the entire draft. But when we get to Indianapolis, Dallas Turner's going to go off the charts and Latu Latu might be closer to above average. And that is how I broke the difference. The better athlete who maybe has a more has more upside long term. Yeah, I wanted to really see Dallas Turner this year without Will Anderson Jr., where he was the guy. But yeah. Chris Braswell stepped up, another local kid from my area. But and Braswell had eight sacks. But Turner went from what four sacks to nine sacks. He was more consistent getting off the edge. He was more of a fear factor player. And I always like there's guys I say fear factor guys that you know going in as a coordinator, offense or defense, we got to be careful of this guy. Yep. Because what that does, it opens up opportunities for other people. And these guys can still beat the chip. So to me, for Turner, I like it. But to the lot to the point, you have to factor in that because you have to evaluate players in totality field. It's mm-hmm. everything. It's medical, character, all the things. Consistency, a period of years, one-year wonders versus guys that did it for two or three. There's a lot of factors go into this. And we're never going to be perfect. But you have to have something, a formula and a philosophy you believe in. So that, for, for a lot to better, a better pure pass rusher for me is a lot to. Mm. Now, when you go through the testing and the medical, Dallas Turner may get the edge. Dallas Turner did have a very productive year. I think when you look at where we are right now in terms of the guys that you have in that mix from between 10 and 15, uh, I look at a kid like Nate Wiggins. Yeah, you know, here right we go. With the length he has, and I like, do I, I always say like and love, okay? I always get into that. I like him, you love him. Sometimes I love them, you like them. So we're all going to be back and forth on the like love. Uh, but I think for Wiggins, I like him. The one player that you have down the line, Cooper DeGene, to me, had he been healthy, he got hurt, but yep. he could be that corner and the worst case is safe. Okay, move him inside. His instincts, his awareness, his another guy, model of consistency. Think about those Iowa defensive players over the years with Lucas Van Ness and Jack Campbell and Riley Moss and, and DeGene and all the guys that were able to get it done there for Kirk Ferentz. And, and, and obviously think about Parker, the coordinator, what a job he's done. But these these guys are skilled. They're good. They're, they, they're well coached. They're fundamentally sound and very disciplined. So I, I always go to the guy gives me the ability to kick to another spot, whether it's a tackle like Troy Fatanu, the guard yeah. from the tackle, left tackle from Washington who will be a guard. I think he can be a guard or a right tackle. He played left tackle. Patrick McCarry here in Baltimore can play everywhere. Great to have a guy like that because guess what? Left tackle's hurt. I'm taking Fatanu from guard. I'm putting him at left tackle, okay? And I think he'll hold up fairly well for a game or two in the NFL. So I love versatility. And for DeGene, the ability to say, okay, if he doesn't get it done at corner, which I think he can, we can move him inside. So for That's why I gave him a bit of an edge. But I'm with you on Wiggins. I think the corners at Alabama, we can debate whether it's McKinstry or whether it's Terry and Arnold. I like Wiggins. I just thought there were some players in other spots at a higher grade. You tell me, Field, pound that table for why Wiggins is at 13 on your big board right now. I'll tell you what. In some ways, this one is simple. In some ways, it requires a bit more nuance. We don't have the exact measurements, but I expect Nate Wiggins to check in somewhere around six foot two, 185, 190 pounds. I expect him to run somewhere between 4.35 and 4.40 in the 40. Maybe maybe a touch below that. With those measurables and his coverage skills, pure coverage skills, it's hard for a player like that to not go inside the top 15 or 20 picks in the NFL draft because they simply don't make corners that size with as much coverage ability as he has. And he's got plenty of coverage ability. I thought he improved from start to finish during his time at Clemson. Dabo Sweeney, who we know rarely says negative things. I mean, even called him out at one point talking about his maturity. And that thing really turned around for Nate Wiggins. He's a much better pro for it. I'll tell you a couple plays that sold me on Nate Wiggins. There were two separate plays, one against Miami and one against Carolina this year, and basically ended up in the exact same situation. Nate Wiggins was the defensive left side corner and a play populated from the defensive right side or ends up with a ball carrier streaking down the field, seemingly running for a touchdown that was going to be unchallenged. On two separate occasions this year, Nate Wiggins sprinted about 90 yards down the field. It felt maybe more than that. It felt like it was 150 yards, if that's possible, on a football field. And made a play, a tackle at the goal line on both plays in which he dislodged the football. And 
In one of them, it was ruled a touchback, and the other, it ended up being a touchdown by about you know just this much, or the narrowest of margins. And I thought that told me a lot about the football character of Nate Wiggins on the field. Never say die attitude, right? And beyond that, and show the speed, right? I mean, the speed is out of control. Like to see him flying down the field on multiple occasions, you're thinking to yourself, I know he can run stride for stride with pretty much any wide receiver in the NFL, maybe not named Tyree Kill. This guy can blaze. I don't think any cornerback in this class is Devon Witherspoon or Christian Gonzalez, a player, you know, one who went fifth and one who probably should have gone higher than he did in Gonzalez. But this to me is the closest thing to a lockdown cover corner in this year's class. Okay. Okay. Very good. Right, well, we, another one that we can, we can vet that one a little bit further. Uh, that yeah. was uh, 11 through 15. Uh, we can maybe attack a couple of these Alabama guys together. because I'll give you 16 through 20. I know you wanted to ask about a couple of Bama boys. Yeah. Terrion Arnold, Troy Fatano, you just mentioned him. Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma, Cooper DeGene, your guy, off the charts athlete, and then Amarius Mims at Georgia Mill. Uh, but I know J.C. Latham was a player that maybe I have a little bit more confidence in than you. Is it the concern about him being a strictly right tackle, or are there just other players you prefer at that spot? Yeah, that's a good question. I think for Latham, he was, and I looked at him and I said, and you don't ever want to overreact to a play here and there. Yeah. So there was. Well, I just did with, with, with uh, Nate Wiggins, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what I say. You always see that. And I guess maybe I always worry about, do I overreact too much? Do I, do you just, you know, not even care about it? There was some, some plays that he, you know, he was beaten. And there was, I go back even to the Texas game. There was a holding penalty wasn't called this year. We saw what happened in the semifinal game, but overall, when I looked at, I like, now again, we're kind of splitting. I have in the top 25. You have him a little bit higher, but he's a good football player. And he's a guy right tackle. We're looking at well, debating why is Evan Neal not playing better? Why is Evan right. Neal struggling? Yeah. Evan Neal probably could be a heck of a guard, play guard at Alabama. So again, offensive lineman in general field. We get into the you know the strengths, weakness of all these. The bottom line is when you get an offensive lineman that has skill and has played at a high level, they have versatility and they have the ability. Or do they lock into a spot? He's a right tackle. And I think he's a guy you, you have pretty, you're pretty confident can come into the NFL and be a good player at that spot. The guy like a Tyler Geit out of Oklahoma, he's a rusher. Change, athletic, needs some coaching, and he got good coaching at Oklahoma. Let's make mm-hmm. they one of the best offensive line coaches out there. Yep. So he's getting he's getting the coaching, but he's a, he's a guy you talk about. We throw this word around upside. Who has a chance to be what we see now is just touching the surface of what he's going to be. If he get keeps developing and improving, that would be Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma. Uh, the guy that I think is NFL ready is a guy I don't think you had any was Jordan Morgan from Arizona, the left yep. tackle. Mims, had, yeah, unfortunately, had the injury. He didn't have the Broderick Jones year because he was hurt. We thought he would be this year's Broderick Jones. Yep. Didn't happen because of the injury. But yeah, he's got a ton of talent. I'm a big Fatanu guy because I see the ability to be. You see how he dominates against in run situations. He will destroy you. He opened up some gaping holes for Dylan Johnson during throughout the course of the season. He, you didn't hear Fatano's name mentioned the other night for a mistake, did you? No right. mistakes. It was the right tackle and the guard sent everything interior and right tackle wasn't left tackle. So for me, Fatano's ability to handle that spot, yet people say, well, he's got to be a guard or a right tackle. I get it. But I love that kid because guess what? You draft him in the middle of the first. What's the risk factor? What's the bust factor for Troy Fatano? I think it's minimal. 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 Yeah. Minimal event. Right. right. It's like Lincoln Tomlinson, like five years, whatever. That was probably yeah. like, what, seven or eight years ago now. Right. Like yeah. those guys that, you know, and it didn't start off perfectly for Tomlinson, but the guys become a heck of a guard, both for the 49ers and the Jets. Now, I mean, the guy's making a lot of money for a reason. The one that I had the hardest time placing was actually Guyton. I think he's the potential riser in this year's draft. Because you know he is a work in progress. He's not only new to the position, he's new to that side of the ball. He was a defensive lineman at TCU when he began his career. TCU plays defensive line and H-back. Well, then they make him an offensive tackle. He actually scored a touchdown at one point, by the way, in college. That was fun to see. Uh, but six foot seven, 338 pounds. We'll see where he ends up checking in uh, during the pre-draft process, down to Mobile, et cetera. But you know this, Mel. I don't know that there's any position amongst the position coaches where they have influence on the draft like offensive linemen do. A lot of head coaches, they'll say, hey, you know what? We got three guys in this cluster of offensive tackles or GMs. They'll say, hey, just you, you guys tell me what you want, right? Because you're the one that's working with them every single day. 
And it's like a chain link fence, right? You need to find out which of these guys fits because you're one weak link away from this entire thing falling apart. I think Tyler Guyton could be the kind of player that an offensive line coach in the top 15 says, we can't leave the draft without him. Give me some time. But if we get our hands on this guy, I'll make him a pro bowler because that's the kind of traits he brings to the table. He's a really, really special athlete. And I will say this, Field, you know, starting with senior bowl practices and the moving through the process, coaches, they don't care about these guys now. They didn't care about those guys until the season's over. So offensive line coach, right, they will fall in love with guys and they see the skill. They see the, the ability. If I can coach him, just give me him and I will make him. A yeah. Pro Bowl caliber tack, offensive lineman, whether it's tackle, guard, center, whoever it may be. I think you're a guy to me as a guy when we do our mock drafts, is going to be very high up there. He's a guy you would say you would roll the dice with on talent and on potential. Where it's not where it is, the draft is and, and evaluating is about foresight. It's not, yeah. Everybody knows what they see. You can send any scout and say, tell me what you saw. I, I you know, you know what you saw. It's it's projection. What's he going to be? And why maybe didn't he play as well as he could have? It's not excuses. It's reality. Yeah. You can say it's excuse, like excuses. Like I did with Will Leff. I wasn't making excuses. I was giving you reality of what actually was happening with players. Josh Allen, going back to that, what actually happens with players affects how they play in football. They're not machines. If they're right. hurt, if they got a bad offensive line, things are going awry, what's going to happen to that player, right? He's not going to play well. So it's not an excuse. It's, again, reality, R-E-A-L-I-T-Y, okay? And not E-X-C-U-S-E-S, okay? So the bottom line is I look at that this year and say, for some of these players, go back and say, okay, where are they? But more importantly, where can they be? And Vinny Serrato, my good friend, you know Vinny. Yep, of course. General manager in the league, built that team at Notre Dame with Lou Holtz in 88, that Notre Dame national championship team. Tom Carter off a of basketball court, changed guys. All those guys wearing 40s on a D-line were former linebackers, okay? Bottom line is the tight ends became offensive tackles like Andy Heck. The creative scouting. Creative hmm. scouting basically is also foresight and projecting where Patrick Ricard's an H-back for the Ravens, right? right. Where was he in eight? He was a defensive line. Again, you have to – if a scout just comes back to me, if I'm a gen, tells me what, I saw, what he saw and doesn't do any of that, see ya, find another occupation. Okay, find something else to do. Okay, so to me, it's all about projection, foresight, and finding reasons why we saw maybe what we wanted to see, we didn't see. Why didn't we? I think that's key. And I think for some of these players, you can certainly do that in your evaluation. And Guyton being one of those, certainly, I think when you look at Nims, like I said, it could have been Broderick Jones. He wasn't the tough one. The tough one of the toughest players for me to evaluate field. I, I got to get your films. I know you love the kid. The NFL. You can't be handsy and grab, or you get mm. penalties. College lets it go a little bit. NFL, <laughs> good luck. Get yes. That third, that third and fifteen. I hate the third and fifteens where a handsy grabby corner gets a five yard penalty. You're gift wrapping an early Christmas present to a defense, but they did nothing. They yep. did nothing. So Terry and Arnold, tell me why you're a big Terry and Arnold fan. Who, by the way, is versatile. He tackles. He get intercepted passes. He's active. He's energetic. But what do you see in him that puts him up at 16 on your big board? One of the fastest rising players in the class, right? This is the Alabama cornerback who before the season was sort of unknown relative to people that aren't sort of living and breathing this draft stuff because it was the Kool-Aid McKinstry show, right? And obviously we know that Alabama pretty much every year has a cornerback that's going to be in the debate uh, for that first so for, for the first round or a defensive back that maybe a guy like Brian Branch should have gone in the first round a season ago. A safety for the Lions has been awesome for them. This year is a second round pick. So Terry on Arnold this year flexed a lot of what you just you just mentioned, some of those traits. Route recognition, terrific. Football IQ, terrific. He's tough. The handsiness is going to be the thing that defines whether he sinks or swims at the NFL level because physicality is borderline uh, frowned upon in the NFL the way that the game is played today. But if he can find a way to thread the needle of being physical while also not being a penalty machine is going to fit in perfectly in today's NFL because one thing that I can't stand, Mel, or cornerbacks that don't play through the ball, don't finish, because while there are some wide receivers who've got vice grip hands, we got a lot of wide receivers out there that just can't complete the process of catching the football when contact is in their vicinity. Go back to your Baltimore Ravens right now. If there is a perceived weakness on this defense for the Baltimore Ravens, it's cornerback depth, right? 
Marlon Humphrey is the only guy that had like a ton of pedigree when he arrived to Baltimore, and he's been an awesome player. Other than that, they got a bunch of guys who, I mean, you got guys, safeties turned into corners, guys who were on the scrap heap like Ronald Darby. And what they do, the, the, the common threads are just so physical at the point of catch. So if you have players in your defense that can help protect you over the top where you're not worried so much about being burned every single play, and you can play more sort of like you can play as much horizontally as you can vertically, it's going to open up the number of opportunities for you to make like ball jarring hits like Terry on Arnold did. I think he's a fast riser. Like I think we've gotten to the point now where it would not surprise me if he's the first Alabama cornerback taken, which would have been crazy to say back in September. Brought up the team, my Baltimore Ravens, right? Yeah. There's a corner that they had named Brandon Stevens. Yep. Brandon Stevens was a running back at UCLA. He goes to SMU, safety. What's he going to be? Safety course. Yeah. He finally becomes a defensive back at SMU after leaving UCLA, where he's actually running the football and doing some things as a running back. And here he is, and he reminds me a lot of Terry and Arnold. Yeah. Because he's always – and he learned not to be as handsy grab and also locate the ball at the end of a route. Late in mm. a route, when you're there, nothing's more frustrating. got to have the coverage but not locate the ball and turn and look, okay? Anticipate the route. And also then he does that well, but then find the football and be able to not get penalized, not allow a catch or just grab it and then get the penalty. He improved in all those areas. He's, he's almost glued to the receiver, but he's learned how to play the position as a former running back. So I think for for Arnold, I see a little Stevens there. Brandon Stevens, I think, was their best corner this year, the best overall or best overall defensive players, and a key to why they are where they are right now. But to the point too about what Vinny Serrato always said to me, Field, you have coach before your name for a reason. These NFL coaches are the best. Got to be a world. coach, yeah. They're yep. the best in the world, right? These, yep. You got to. That's thirty-two. Well, yeah, you have two defensive line. You have two at every position. Two coaches at every position. Back when yep. I was coming up, you had a D-line coach, linebacker. So, hey, you got 50 million coaches at every position. You totally have, one outside linebacker's got a coach. The other outside, the inside. Everybody's got a coach. Okay, it's individual coaching. But the bottom line is these guys have coached before their name for a reason. You're not going to get finished products. If you did, we wouldn't need you. Mm. So we need you to make guys better. I said when some guy, remember when Tyler Smith came out of, uh, of Tulsa? Tulsa, said, yeah. You know, who's going to be there? The O-line coach, Okay. Is going to be the key there. Who's going to be the key to uh, Trayvon Walker, the D-line coach? Who, by the way, just got let go, Brenton Butler, who did a good job because he went from three sacks to ten sacks. Ten, yeah. Okay? So it's Joe Philbin, the offensive line coach for the Cowboys, when they draft Tyler Smith. So Joe Philbin's going to be on the spot to developing. And Butler and, and that defensive line coach with them. So coach before your name for a raising field. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Matt. I, mean, I think the developmental upside for Terry and Arnold is very, very high because the competitive streak is just terrific. And we, see, we need more of that because uh, – the last thing I'll say about him is as a cornerback, you got to have a short memory too. You got to have the confidence that if I get beat for a 50 yarder on one play, I'm coming back and winning in the next rep. That showed up to be the competitive spirit of Terry on Arnold. Um, I'll give you my last five. We mentioned Kool Aid McKinstry, Chopper Robinson, the edge from Penn State, pass rusher. AD Mitchell, wide receiver from Texas, formerly of Georgia. Brian Thomas Jr. led the country with 17 touchdown receptions for the LSU Tigers. And then Braylon Trice, who officially declared for the draft earlier on Thursday after a terrific run at Washington, was incredible as a part of their team that, of course, lost to Michigan in the national championship. Is there anybody there that really sticks out to you? Because I feel like the player that's going to generate the most conversations, maybe of, I don't know, one of the three to five most conversations of any first-round potential pick is Chop Robinson from Penn State. Yeah, yeah, like Chop. Uh, you know, that's 22. I don't have him quite that high right now. I think they test. And certainly there were times where I noticed him coming off the edge. He would be so close. And they get the ball out so quick in college. Yeah. They were deep in that shotgun. Some of them almost like they're in punt formation. But, yeah, it's tough to get to him. But he was, I think he was frustrated in some games. So he's like, I beat my guy and I don't get a sack. I don't get a hurry. I get, I'm there. So, and he plays the run, he hustles. Uh, he was a good player for James Franklin. Shops, I don't have a problem with him at 22. The guy that, that I think we're debating there is, do you like Chris Braswell from Alabama? Do you like Chop Rob? Braswell had eight sacks, 10 and a half tackles for loss. He forced three fumbles. Opposite Dallas Turner did a good job. But from a consistency standpoint, Chop held up against the run. And let's face it, we can talk about pass rush. You still got to handle your run responsibilities. He did. Uh, the other guy in that mix that's hard for me to uh, I'm almost going to defer because I, you know, some guys you just have to throw your hands up and say, I'm not really sure what kind of pro. We all are, have a strength and conviction about players' field. 
where we feel we're not going to be wrong. We're not going to be right all the time. We're going to be wrong. Guys, we still liked them, but we were wrong. We didn't yeah. like them, but we were wrong. They're better than we thought. Some are better than we thought. Some aren't as good as we thought. Some we just can't figure out. I just can't figure that guy out. I can't figure out one Braylon Trice. Yeah. I cannot figure out what type of NFL sack guy, pass rusher, he will be against the best tackles in the world. I have not, I see what I see some things I know you're going to say you like. I see him a little high at times coming off the edge. You are more sold on Trice than I am. Why? There's, there's, there was some big game competition this year, right? In the Pac 12 alone, we've got a left tackle you mentioned earlier, Jordan Morgan. He'll be, you know, borderline first round pick from Arizona. Uh, Bradley Trice actually got his first sack on a rep against Jordan Morgan. In the most recent couple of games, obviously that Michigan offensive line, terrific. Wasn't as much of a factor there. You go back to that Texas game, and he just wrecked it. And that Christian Jones, the right tackle from Texas, six foot six, 321 pounds, played left tackle, played right tackle. The guy's got, I think, 48, 47 games to his career. He's played a ton of football. And Braylon Trice kind of made him look silly on a couple of reps there. Jones would probably be, what, got to figure early day three pick maybe, uh, somewhere in that range. So I saw enough explosion and craft to Braylon Trice's game, right? Like it's not always going to be winning on athleticism because when the combine rolls around, this kind of reminds me of some of the conversation we had earlier with Leia Tulatu. Like he's not going to wow, right? Chop Robinson could wow at the combine. The guy could run a ridiculous 40 and, and all of a sudden the conversation changes around him. I don't think Braylon Trice falls in that category. I think at this point though, Mel, factoring in that you know, late first round, you've got often, I mean, trade-ups can certainly take place, but you've got teams that are sort of putting the icing on the cake of their roster, right? Teams picking 26 through 32 probably feel like in most cases, they're pretty darn close to being ready to win the whole thing. Obviously, will one of them will have won the whole thing, picking number 32 overall. And I look at it like if you're a team that is measuring, like we're one pass rusher short, and you think you can win it the following year, I think Braylon Trice right now could line up and give you those reps that somebody like Chop Robinson could, but Chop might he might need a year, he might need you know a year and a half to really hit his peak, because as great as Chop Robinson's kill skill set is, hit four sacks this season, male two of them came against UMass, and you and I love UMass, love the Minutemen, but when two sacks and every other game is all you can come up with, shades of former Penn State standout. Odafi Owe, right? Who that was the conversation surrounding him. He had what zero sacks his zero. final season at Penn State. How does that translate into draft soccer? You're always drafting the trace, not the production. But some teams are going to be scared by it. Some teams are going to say, no, 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 no. We see why or how he can become a great player. Braylon Trice is the inverse. A lot of production, a lot of consistency. Don't know that the ceiling is quite the same, but at 26, 27, 28 in the draft, not a terrible spot to take a high floor player. Yeah, and then one other player, and I, I've been the guys that I had in my top 25 that you didn't, just to get your feeling as to why you aren't as high on them. If the debate is AD, Adonai Mitchell, Adonai yep. Mitchell, was Adonai, not AD, Adonai Mitchell, formerly of Georgia to Texas, had a couple touchdown receptions against Alabama, had a great game against Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State. Yeah, averaged 16 yards a catch, 10 touchdowns. And Xavier Worthy, his teammate, who is electric after the catch, punt returner, dynamic in space. That's going to be the tough call. Is it Mitchell? Is it Worthy coming out of that Texas Longhorn program? You gave right now the edge to Mitchell. I gave a slight edge to Worthy. Why'd you do that? It's the size. AD Mitchell's not going to run nearly as fast as Xavier Worthy, who's going to probably run one of the fastest times of any player at the entire combine this year, assuming he does run. The cop you keep hearing for Xavier Worthy is Hollywood Brown, right? That is important in some ways because at his best, Hollywood Brown's been a pretty good player. He also has had moments where he's faded for like prolonged stretches, right? There's a reason why the Baltimore Ravens traded. They got a great return for it as well. Who else I see a little bit of Worthy in? Who's that? Say Flowers. They fly, ooh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. A little, a little taller, but at that same time, you know, he'll have a drop every now and then. Yep. They will have a drop every now and then, like he did at BC, every now and then, not a lot, but he's spectacular. Zay is one of the key reasons why. I loved it. It was my favorite, one of my favorite players in the draft last year, number one yeah. overall wide receiver. Zay has been one of the key reasons why this team was where he is. I saw Peter Schrager at his top five rookies. Zay Flowers was four. Yeah, that's deserving. Zay Flowers yeah. has been spectacular. And I think Zay is more laterally uh, laterally explosive than Xavier Worthy is, who maybe right. he runs, maybe Xavier runs a slightly faster 40. Then, right. you know, which is a straight line, obviously, 
But Zay's change of direction is just so, so difficult to slow yeah. down right space, now. Just space guys. However you want to slice yep. it, they're space guys and where they can beat you. But that, that's the tough call. And then we get to the guys that you didn't have in the first. And I don't have yep. J.J. McCarthy in my top 25 now. Yep. I just didn't see. I, I kept saying, okay, I didn't see that. Now, to, to his defense field, he didn't Ooh, get Johnson's got to catch that ball. But he meant stride, right. perfect throw. Colston Loveland on a sideline right here. Yep. And the guy got The defender made a play, but he should have caught the ball. So yeah. he didn't throw a lot of passes, but he had a couple more receptions. He didn't leave a couple on the field. But the bottom line is he ran for that key first down to keep that the, the yards, to get them out of the hole and flip the field. Key moment in that game, even though they didn't continue to drive, they flipped the field. But I still have him more as a second rounder. But the Michael Penix Jr. debate. Going to rage on. This field, had he played against Michigan or even recaptured some of that Texas game at some point in the fourth quarter of that game and tied it up in one – we would have been talking right now because I'll ask you point blank field. If he equaled in this game against Michigan, what yep. he did against Texas, what would you have done with him then? He would have been probably player. I, I actually at one point had, uh, I, I sort of put a, I, what I did, I put like a retainer in there. Mm-hmm. Player 21 on my board was Michael Penix Jr. After the, the Michigan, excuse me, after the Texas game. Right. I don't want the listeners to think that we are basing everything off of just one game, but what the Michigan game forces you to do, Mel, is to go back and revisit why was Michael Penix Jr. not all the way up at player 21 early in the season or proportions of this season. The Michael Penix Jr. case is complicated and simple. It's complicated because we don't know where he's going to go, and he could go top 10, it wouldn't surprise me. He could go in the second round, and it wouldn't surprise me. The fans of Michael Penix Jr., which both of you, both you and I are, he is a surgeon as a thrower. He's got an absolute cannon of an arm. Vertical passing is fantastic. Unbelievable character. Incredibly competitive. Some mobility. He's not a statue back there, right? Tons of experience. The guy started for basically six years at the college level. The case against Michael Penix Jr. would be how does he handle pressure and what ability does he have to counter pressure relative to the other quarterbacks that are in this class? We saw the brilliant pressure plan that he was able to overcome against Texas. And then we saw against Michigan, and this reminded you of games earlier on in the season, Washington State game, Arizona State game, where they kind of had the upper hand, and they were able to flummox him in a way. And he's not this athlete like Jaden Daniels or Drake Mayer, Caleb Williams, where you got pressure bearing down on you. You know, you can just run out of the pocket and turn a potential sack into a 8, 12, 15, or in the case of Jaden Daniels, 50-yard quarterback scramble. Um, it's complicated in some ways, but it's also simple because if you don't think the ability to handle pressure is at a high enough level for Michael Penix Jr., some in the NFL feel like that's a difficult trait to coach once you get to the league because oftentimes if you're taken in the first 10 picks and you're a quarterback, as we said at the beginning of the show, you got a bad offensive line coming with you as well. And it ain't easy. Just ask some of these young quarterbacks, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, guys from that 2021 class, Justin Fields, who's been better, but early in his career, offensive line play really let those guys down and set back their NFL careers. Yes, no question about it. And we have some news. We had Jalen Polk decide to come yes. out. I thought going yeah. back to the guy, you have Will Rogers coming in there, right? Would be a good move to get him in that first round guaranteed for Jalen Polk with another year at Washington with McMillan. And uh, you know, certainly Romo Dunze is in this draft. We'll see where McMillan is. But Polk's coming out. And yeah. this is a guy that we'll be evaluating. We have to go back because I didn't think he was coming out. I thought he was going to stay. He's coming out. We'll see if he can get into that first, second round discussion. But the, the other thing is when you really go to this whole thing, Cameron Ward, I thought he was going to go to Miami, leave Washington, yeah. making that word. To, my, to Washington State, he's going to go to Miami. Now he says he's coming to the draft. Now, I don't know if that's etched in stone. It can be changed. I don't think that's been declared for the 15th. And we'll get the list on the 19th, right? Yeah, that early yep, list yep. to get them in the All-Star games. Now you have the final list on the 15th that will be announced on the 19th, okay? Bottom yep. line is Cameron Ward is interesting. So there's an opening now for that fifth, sixth spot where you have Bo Nix, Spencer Rattler, Cameron Ward, Jordan Travis with the injury. Joe Milton III will be at the Senior Bowl, but you know the accuracy and the consistency. But I think Cameron Ward, because he can move, he can beat a defense with his legs. He has that unorthodox delivery, but he can get the ball out. To me, he's going to be, if he is in this draft, it looks like he will be. Cameron Ward from Washington State could, by the time we get to late April, maybe be five, 
six on the quarterback rank rankings board. I believe he's also attending the Shrine Bowl game. So I think that does indicate uh, if he's accepted the invite, I think it indicates, hey, he's coming. So um, this quarterback class has some depth to it. But I I will stand on this for right now. If someone's talking about the 2024 NFL draft and they're talking about the team at the top, do not just say Caleb Williams and Drake May. Make sure you include Jaden Daniels in that conversation because by the time it's all said and done, Mel, I believe those three guys are going with the first three picks overall. I'll do it. That's a pretty that's a pretty beefy show right there, Mel. And the helmet stayed on the shelf for the entire time. I'm you know, I'm I'm a little sore, I'm not gonna lie. But uh, no, you know, no, I felt no, like uh, all, all things no, being no. equal. Hey, again, we get into loving and liking. And again, I guys that I have to need some help on and I have to go back to the drawing board. I'll ask you this, Field, because I we didn't get the before we let everybody go. I mentioned guys that I have I'm struggling with. You know who they are, right? Who are who's the one or two players that you just don't have a handle on and you don't have a defined grade that you're just all over the place on and you don't know if you like them, love them, whatever. Yeah. Who are you who are you having an issue with trying to evaluate? One guy more than anybody else. Aliezi Fuaga. Oh, my right tackle guy from like Oregon him. State, who I know you love. And I think he is. I mean, the strength is off the charts. If I ever needed the security guard, if I was so famous that I needed the security guard, which would never happen. But if I, if it did happen, I'd hire him. Because, I mean, he, he just flicks defenders in all over the field. It's hilarious to watch. However, when people talk about a first-round right tackle, I don't know that I see the same level of athletic ability from him that you do a guy like Amarius Mims or Tyler Guyton. J.C. Latham is not on that same level as well, but the experience and the polish, he's a very good athlete. So he's probably one of the trickier players for me to evaluate because if he goes in the top 20, I'd say, yeah, that makes sense. At the same time, athletically, I think he's a clip below those other right tackles that I mentioned. How are you? Yeah, I think I like him. I, I, I probably will be a little higher on him. I think when you look at the quarterback, McCarthy, I have not yet wow. figured him out at all. He's so a great JJ's one. Braylon Trice, to me, is one I have not yet figured out uh, what type of player he will be. From your group of players, I think I'm pretty good. I mean, Terry and Arnold, that whole McKinstry debate there. So, Terry and I'm kind of wondering, should I, where, how high should I go? But again, Field, the combine workout, the pro days for those measurables. If you're up in the air and you're decide if you like a guy, I don't want to say I'm gonna love him, but I'll it'll define that I like him. If there's a mm. guy I'm a little JJ is not gonna matter. Quarterbacks, I just can't figure JJ out. I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. You draft him in a second. If I'm a team looking for a quarterback, like I say, I can they take him in a second. I'll see how when we get through the process. But first round is rich for me. And I see him in different mocks. I saw Jordan Reed, our friend Jordan. Jordan does a great job. Jordan just had him, I believe, in a mock up. As I said, well, I think he has him. Going in the first round, right? Yeah, 12th to the Broncos. And he admitted oh. that's way higher than his grade, but that's what happened to these mock drafts. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I, I'll say this. I think we are still very early, and I think what we don't, I don't want to do, and I always try to avoid, is boxing myself into a corner. Yeah, yep. And I made the comment last year, because I do this time, it's not a stunt, but, you know, Todd, you say Kuiper stunt. Uh, I had this, Zay Flowers, if I do say that, like I said, Zay's my guy. He's yep. number one. Do yep. I steal when I'm wrong? He's my number one receiver when everybody was debating who that should be. Yeah, I'll do that at some point in the next two, three weeks on this show. But don't I, I would caution everybody, and I know NFL people trying to avoid this, but don't just define it yet. Don't like I say, don't make statements that you can't hold to. Sure. Okay. And I think you know, to me, those bold statements will come. But for now, we're just we're still in the evaluation process. Field. We are very much in the evaluation process, Mel. That's the beauty of the NFL draft. We got another three and a half months until showtime. But that was a lot of fun uh, for those. I got a mock draft coming out soon, by the way. Oh, baby! Mock 1.0. Mock mock it's 1. like throwing 1. red meat to like the January, hyenas. Jan- I think it's Tuesday. Check your calendar, guys. Is it yeah. January twenty third a Tuesday? Ooh, uh, that, it is a Tuesday. Yes, my daughter's second birthday is the 21st, right. and that's oh, a Sunday. You know, there you go, Phil. Yeah. So Tuesday, January 23rd, will be Mach 1.0. Oh, I, I can't wait. Because you know why? It's strategically located. Of course, Because yeah. the, the juniors, we got the, jun- we get the junior oh. list, I believe, Friday the 19th. They yeah. have to declare by the 15th. We'll get that final list on the 19th. I want to know who's in the Dagon draft, right? We, we yeah. assume that Cameron Ward's going to East-West. He's going to be in. So to find the Cameron Ward's in, Cameron Ward's in, it's not going to be in my first-round mock. But I want all the guys that are in or out to know who's going back. Because every, everybody's got six, seven years now, Field. With yeah. the COVID year, everybody's draft eligible. Everybody, right? yeah, totally. So, yeah, 
But so Tuesday, January 23rd, my Mach 1.0. Last, I'm going to ask you again, when is your Mach 1.0? It's coming out the Tuesday after the Super Bowl. So February, I think, 17th, whatever that date is. So we got some time there. I've got plenty of time. I get to read yours. I get to grade it. I get to make fun of it. I get to endorse it. I get to do everything in between. And I get to take my time to think about it as well. All right, that is going to do it for today's first draft. Uh, for those that are listening still, Monday, we're going to be back at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. They're throwing us on TV mail. What do you know? That tells you the people love Mel Kuyper Jr. so much. They can't get enough of him. You can also watch the show live, 11 a.m. Eastern time, on ESPN's YouTube channel. Uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. is the GOAT. I'll talk to you again soon on Monday, Mel. Have a great weekend. I can't wait for Mach 1.0, just 12 days away from right now. <laughs>